0: Charlie Wright.
1: Hello, and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm Charlie Wright, and we're very pleased to have with us Christian Sear, founder and president of Sear Financial. He speaks to us from their offices in central Illinois. Chris, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio.
2: Hi, Charlie. Thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure.
1: So, Chris, uh, first of all, uh, on, on the lighter side, uh, we've got California talking with Illinois. So you and I could be talking about state budgets here and state uh, governments. And, uh, and, and, but we're going to turn to a subject uh, far less fun, but uh, more substantive, and over which we have much more control here. So, But congratulations on finally getting a budget for, I think, a couple of years, correct?
0: Let's not talk about passions and budgets <laughs> today, Charlie,
1: please. Okay, Chris, no problem. So, Chris, you have a passion for numbers. That's demonstrated on the video on your website. You've uh, been a CPA for, what, about uh, f- somewhere between 15 and 20 years, correct?
0: That's correct. Yeah.
1: And uh, But you've taken a circuitous route to managing money and working with uh, advisors as well as uh, retail clients. You worked as a... Chief Financial Officer in the corporate world for 15 plus years. And then a few years ago, you, uh, due to your passion for investing and your passion for numbers and creating uh, different strategies and the like, you became an investment advisor. And then not long after that, you started creating your own strategies, which you have now trademarked. And you follow the trend following a relative strength strategy. So give us a brief background of yours. Will you, Chris?
2: So growing up, Charlie, in the suburbs of Chicago, I can remember looking out my backyard from a distance. I I could see what at the time was the tallest building in the world. It was called the Sears Tower back then. For some reason, I always envisioned traders at the top of the Sears Tower. I don't know why I envisioned that, but I always thought to myself, that is exactly what I want to do. I want to be a trader at the top of the Sears Tower. And as it turns out, they don't trade at the top of the Sears Tower, but that was the beginning uh, of some sort of passion I had. That, that I knew that's what I wanted to do. Ironically, though, my first job out of graduate school was at a hospital in Chicago, so it was not at the top of the Sears Tower. But there is where I really learned the beauty of databases and programming forecasting, and it did nothing but marry my interest with investments with the elements of you know the algorithm that programming side of it. And, but as life happens, things don't always go as planned. And yes, I ended up spending about 15 years in the corporate world as a CFO and uh, vice president. That was great. Uh, I believe in life to be successful, though, you have to have three things. Number one, you have to be obviously good at what you're doing. Number two, you, ha- you have to work hard. But number three, and perhaps most importantly, you have to be passionate about what you were doing. And I have I hate to say—I was really just anything but passionate about my job in the corporate world. You know, I was spending more time in the boardroom than uh, than doing things I love. So in 2012, yes, I left the corporate world, and I actually stole my right hand with me, and uh, we we took him together to start Sierra Financial Wealth Advisors.
1: Okay, so uh, th- thanks for that background, Chris. So. Today, we're going to be talking about your tactical investing strategy here. And you have an example that you use when you're meeting with clients and others about university scholarships that I, I think is the best example I've ever heard on tactical investing and, and on your, your particular methodology of doing that. Would you share that with our listeners?
0: Sure.
2: You know, our approach, Charlie, is quantitative, systematic, dynamic, Uh, Everything is research-driven, very little fundamental, subjective investing. And yet we have several models to employ to manage our our clients' money, uh, both retail and institutional. The primary goal of the DynaMax series of investments that you're referring to is really, I guess you could say they're based on global macro, go anywhere, relative strength, momentum, which is a mouthful when you're trying to explain this to, to Clients, it's just very difficult to understand. So uh, we always like to use an analogy of a college scholarship to help explain how these philosophies work. And so what you do is you put yourself, imagine you're the dean of students at your favorite university, and one of your jobs is handing out scholarships. And, you know, the first thing you might look at for these incoming students is, what was their high school GPA? And for us, the GPA is a... A weighted momentum where we're looking back at different asset classes over several several periods of time to try and more or less get a weighted GPA and that's really a starting point for the Dynamax investment strategies. But of course unfortunately you know some high schools they just love to give out A's right Uh, and so some other high schools might be a little bit more rigid when giving out the the grades so you have to look at something besides just the grades Uh, and so what we like to look at next is really a class rank and we're looking at how these different asset classes rank amongst each other. What you don't want to do is use an arithmetic ranking, in other words, not just the top 10% of the class. We're looking for students who uh, are, in this case, asset classes that are actually statistically significant and standing out. So, you know, one sigma, two sigma, etc. But once you've gone through the GPA and then you looked at the class rank, you really need to focus on the student's consistency and, and as an example you just want to filter out those or filter the students that have had the best consistency when you're looking at two students for example who both had a 3.5 gpa in high school all other things being equal research shows us unequivocally that the student who really consistently earned the a's and the b's is really going to be a much better choice than that student who maybe had the occasional c or d and translation a, a consistent glide path trumps an inconsistent glide path so we're focused on relative strength momentum. The asset classes that have shown a smoother momentum path, if you will, are going to be less prone to mispricing or incorrect valuations. And So you're the dean of students, and you're still handing out these scholarships, and you score these students GPA, rank, consistency, but now you have the issue of class size, right? You can't let 100,000 students come to your university, so you really have to limit the number of students that are going to come to your university depending on the school year, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to go back and revisit those metrics to identify maybe the top 25 students, the the 25 lucky students, if you will. And once you have identified those 25 students, the next thing you have to say to yourself is, do I want to give each one of these students the same amount of scholarship? And really the answer should be no. You don't want to give each student $3,000. Maybe some of those students stand out more than others. So you're actually allocating different amounts to different students. And really the most important, the last step, comes down, especially when you're managing money, is that risk management. And unfortunately, I'm going to you know you brought the state of Illinois. It's a sad example. I'm going to use it due to the budget crisis here, uh, uh, Charlie. In the last three or four years, a lot of our public universities have actually threatened to shut down in our state, which uh, you know due to a lack of funding. But in this case, we might say. There's going to be no scholarships this year. Even though we've identified these great students, uh, we might not even be able to open the doors. And so, what we're using is certain indicators at certain points to say, even if you've gone through the entire process, we're going to go to cash. Uh, And that's kind of how that's the analogy we use, and it really helps people understand how the strategies work.
1: Chris, uh, that is an excellent analogy, and of all of the Interviews we have had here on Strategic Investor Radio on tactical investing, and there have been many, and most of them follow uh, relative strength, trend-following uh, strategies. Uh, th- that's the best example that I can think of of anything we've heard about a way to explain that kind of strategy. So let's keep going on the theme here of trend-following relative strength. I know you have done significant research on that on on uh, those strategies. Tell us a little about what you have found in your research.
0: Well,
2: it's funny about relative strength strategy. About 20 years ago, it was almost impossible to find any research on it at all. Um, we like to joke and say now that momentum is gaining momentum. and In other words, today you can look on um, the SSRN network and find over, I think, 3,000 pieces of, of some sort of research on momentum relative strength investing. So uh, that's why we say it's gaining momentum. What led us to relative strength momentum for our Dynamax strategies was really, and perhaps the most interesting for us, Charlie, was not trying to identify trading strategies that were built to to win trading competitions. We weren't looking to manage money in a way uh, other than what was best for clients, uh, best for registered investment advisors, uh, you know, and, and institutional investors as well. And that meant to us three clear things. We wanted better returns, less volatility, and smaller drawdowns. Uh, Well, what does that mean? So for us, that means a strategy that's not just trading one asset class or one futures market like gold. That you know potentially uh, could have a wonderful return fifty, sixty percent per year, but also could potentially face a thirty five percent drawdown at at any time. And uh, that didn't mean for us focusing on a strategy that was maybe just shorting something or some single asset class. And certainly, it didn't mean hiring a team of fundamental researchers or you know a roomful of technical signal watchers. So what did it mean to us was just building a broad-based core portfolio strategy uh, that was easy for uh, us and our, our, our RIA peers to really implement. Um, and, you know, it can present a core portfolio that you can build upon with other strategies. So, uh, again, you know, it's about better returns, less volatility, smaller drawdowns. What do you find in the research? There's, as I said, 3,000 pieces that you can find. But for us, the most compelling pieces are the relative strength um studies that are done that have large sets of data. So a great example is Charles Geske. Excuse me, I think his name is Christopher Geske. And Mikhail Semenov's research, if you look it up, it's 2015 uh, paper titled 215 years of global multi-asset momentum. So this paper goes back to 1800 and finds exactly what we were looking for. Better returns, less volatility, smaller drawdown. M- one of my favorite guys to read is Meb Faber. He has some great white papers out there he keeps it simple Uh, the best one is from 2010 it's it's called relative strength strategies for investing just lays it out there but I would have to say far and away the most compelling piece uh, of most recent paper um, if you're an advisor and you read this paper and you don't say to yourself after reading this paper uh, that relative strength is the strategy to use and for me I don't think you'll ever be convinced that relative strength trend following is for you Uh, in this piece is done by AQR. The piece, again, goes back, I think, to 1880. And what's so fascinating about this piece, Charlie, is that the relative strength momentum, how it performs during times of crisis. And they go back and they look at the 10 worst drawdowns since 1880. And I'm talking about the panic of 1893 all the way through the financial crisis of 2008. And in all 10 cases, that 60-40 and hold portfolio, of course, had terrible drawdowns. Oppositely, you look, it, it's amazing that the relative strength momentum has positive returns in all 10 of these drawdown periods. Uh, and so this chart, again, the white paper, if you look at it, it demonstrates what we're looking for, returns, less volatility, less drawdowns. And uh, yeah, I mean, you go to the SSRN network and you search it, you can just find a million pieces. But those are what stand out to us.
1: Hey, Chris, thank you very much for that input. We really appreciate it, especially the article by uh, AQR. We have followed up for some time. We're fans of theirs. And if they wrote it, uh, undoubtedly, it, it has a lot of substance to it. So let's get into, very briefly, your strategies. How, 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 do you, um, how could you describe your strategies quickly for us here?
2: Quickly, so our advisors, you know, most advisors will tell you buy and hold is fine. Certainly it's better than most active managers. Uh, we don't disagree with that. Uh, you know, we're looking for signals. We're looking for ways that our strategies can reduce volatility. Uh, we have our strategies followed uh, by a third-party theta research, and um, what they do is they show how your strategies compare against other strategies, and, yes, the returns are good for the Dynamax. Uh, series of investments but what's most interesting for me is the ulcer index and just in layman's terms are your clients getting an ulcer and we consistently rank in the top 90th percentile of the ulcer index uh, rankings and that's that's really what the, the strategy is about. What I can say is that I am in Illinois as I said Today it's uh, approaching 90 degrees, near 100% humidity. Six months ago, it was negative 10 degrees outside. So, managing your clothing portfolio in the state of Illinois is truly uh, a volatile process. And what we would say is, even though the average temperature in Illinois is about 50 degrees on average, it doesn't mean that you should wear a, a light coat 365 days a year. And that's really the idea uh, behind the Dynamax. You know, it's it's not high frequency trade strategies. We want to avoid so-called whiplash, which is common with uh, momentum uh, trend-following strategies where you overreact to market movements. The average holding period of our strategies is somewhere, it's actually an action asset class, which, by the way, we're investing in low-cost, usually transaction-free ETFs. Uh, so the average holding period of these models is usually four to seven months for any one hold a somewhat longer holding period using multiple look back periods so we'll look back one month three months six months nine months you have longer look back periods and longer holding periods you see we're not i would say you're not looking to buy exactly at the right time at the exact penny so if we were looking to buy in the right time frame and we miss a couple ticks on a trade that's not the end of the world for us because we're looking at a four to seven month investment on the dynamax
1: Chris, we really appreciate that input. This is very interesting. We're always interested in tactical type uh, trend following relative strength strategies, but uh, you've got some strong uh, things behind you as well as, as you say, momentum here. We need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Christian Sear, founder and president of Sear Financial out of Central Illinois. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. (music) All right, back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Again, having a very interesting conversation with Christian Sear, founder and president of Sear Financial out of uh, central Illinois. So, Chris, uh, a couple of questions here. Uh, question number one is uh, in, in kind of bringing to closure your investment. So, so first of all, you invest in ETFs. So, you invest in markets. About how many markets do you invest in?
2: We're looking at 15 global Based asset classes, equities uh, from around the world, fixed income, commodities, real estate. Uh, We try and cover pretty much the full gamut of uh, broad-based equity class or asset classes,
1: rather. Okay, and then you measure their trend, okay, or the relative strength position, and you'll invest in the top three, in one, in five. About how many?
2: So we have several different models. Depending on the goal of that model, we can mix and match models. The number of holdings for each model varies on average. We're talking about being in about three asset classes at any given point in time. Sometimes we're in none. Um,
1: okay. And uh, Chris, it hasn't been clear to us, what are the deliverables that you provide? Are these separately managed accounts? Do you have... And do you have a mutual fund that combines all of this? Do you just provide signals to people who want to do, to do it themselves? What are the deliverables?
2: Well, Charlie, we have a five-person firm at Sear Financial, and we do love our retail clients at Sear Financial. We always say we love our clients. Uh, the clients are our friends, and our friends are our clients. I always feel strongly that the world its really big enough for all of us professionals, so we do like to work with other advisors who perhaps may not have the capabilities uh, of trading or simply want to use our models uh, and trade themselves. That works fairly well and fairly seamlessly. We take the position that if we have something good for retail clients, then why not share it with others? I think. Uh, I think that's important we use the word proprietary it's your financial but we don't like to use it too much because what we want to do is if you have something good why keep it to yourself but there's also armies of CPAs insurance representatives uh, banking institutions we're looking for ways to help uh, their clients uh, with them through arrangements and we can make it a win-win for everybody Uh, you know the the strategies that we employ The average underlying investment cost is usually between 15 and 30 basis points. So we're really trying to help different types of professionals grow their business in one way or another. Uh, So we run the full gamut from SMAs to trading signals and everything in between. It's really uh, a one-on-one discussion with each one of our partners.
1: Okay. So... So for your retail clients, it's separately managed accounts. Uh, Mm -hmm. You guys have not put together a publicly traded fund for this, correct, like a mutual fund?
2: We haven't at this point. It's certainly interesting, all the hurdles you have to go through to get a publicly traded vehicle. And uh, for me, it's about keeping things simple. We found that we can provide the most value primarily through avoiding those public uh, type of securities it's just easier to work one on one with people and that's how we our business model works.
1: Okay. And then for, as you mentioned, the CPAs, banks, insurance professionals, other RIAs, et cetera, you can provide them signals, you can manage the account uh, under your SMA, they can do the SMA in their account, so you've got a variety of ways to providing them uh, what you guys do and and how you're investing.
2: Correct. Usually we have something called a solicitor agreement, which we share with our, our our clients, And uh, like I said, it's a win-win for everybody because CPAs, you know, I'm a CPA myself. Being a CPA, there's a huge level of trust generally between CPAs and their clients. But CPAs don't have necessarily, A, the expertise or the time to really help their clients uh, manage their money. And so that's where we usually come in, especially being CPAs ourselves. We can usually relate, uh, look at a client's tax return, and, and help invest that money with those CPAs and helps them grow their business as well because it makes them a more broad-based provider of financial advice.
1: Right. So tell us a question, Chris, we like to ask all of our listeners. What keeps you awake at night?
2: <laughs> Paying for college tuition next year.
1: <laughs> no. well, um, we, I, I can relate to that. Believe me, Chris. <laughs>
2: I would have to say, honestly, our strategies are quantitative, systematic, dynamic. Uh, they change as the markets change. I watch CNBC in the morning, Charlie, uh, more or less nothing else, just for the entertainment value. I was going
1: to say for comedic value right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
2: you know, the, the, the markets change, but so do our portfolios. So, in fact, most of the time we're not even in the markets that are going down um, because they've already shown the early warning signs uh, in our in our Models. Ironically, as you know, the market's been up, uh, this is the ninth year in a row. As much as I hate to say it, we're looking somewhat forward to maybe the next downturn slash correction because we feel strongly that that's when our strategies are going to shine the most. And not that we see a downturn in the near future, but it's just that we feel they will shine the brightest. And so what is a concern for me is, you know, as I said, momentum is gaining momentum. So this factor, this wonderful anomaly, which is momentum-based relative strength investing, Uh, does it continue to exist? Does it go away? Does it fade away? One of my favorite books is called Market Wizards by Jack Schwager. He interviews the the world's top traders. He wrote this book in the late 80s, I believe, and these traders have brilliant strategies that they were executing in the 70s and 80s that today they admittedly could not do because uh, of changing in market environment. So when we're following relative strength, the question is, does this edge, does this factor continue to produce alpha? And Charlie, it's something we watch constantly. One of the biggest things when you read uh, that book is, wow, the market is always changing. So if you listen to, uh, like you said, AQR, you like uh, Cliff Asness. he says, yeah, this anomaly, which is momentum, is based off of his opinion, irrational, perhaps uneducated, Uh, maybe overly emotional decision-making of investors. And he would argue that this type of rational, emotional investing will probably never stop. Uh, Now, whether that's correct, whether he's right, remains to be seen. But that is the biggest thing that I wonder. Will these strategies, will this factor, which is trend following momentum investing, will it continue to exist?
1: Yeah, no question about it. And and as the statement uh, says that you and I have both heard, I don't know how many times that strategy worked until it didn't.
2: <laughs> I always say it works, and I don't know why it works, and that's this is the scary part.
1: Yeah, it so. is, but. You know, in life, that's the case itself, okay? Why did certain things happen? Why did certain people get elected at various times? Why, uh, why are certain markets moving the way they are, et cetera? We don't know why. All we can do is guess, but we can accurately look at the what. So question number two, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners?
2: Well, one of my favorites is The Most Important Thing by Howard Marks, a great book. Um, I mentioned the Market Wizard book. Even if you're not a trader, that book by Jack Swager is fun to read because uh, it gives true stories, first-person accounts of how these traders uh, rose to greatness. And what's wonderful about it is each one of them has a huge failure stories. Some have four failure stories, but uh, a first-person look at some of these top traders. Um, I love research abilities of Wesley Gray and Jack Bogle. They published a couple books, but the latest one is Quantitative Momentum. That is a heavy read, but it's also uh, for a numbers, uh, maybe as my wife would say, a numbers geek like me. It's very awesome to read. And finally, even if you're uh, really not a trader, there's a book by a guy named Kevin Davey. His book is called Building Will- Winning Algorithmic Trading System, and it's fun to read. I mean, again, it's a it's a first-hand account of how he became a trader, and uh, sometimes the failures are more fun to read than the successes, and certainly he shares his failures in that book.
1: Hey, well, thank you very much for those recommendations. We appreciate them. I am in uh, partway through uh, the most important thing right now, and uh, he is he is a very – clear writer. He wow. writes very, very clearly, uh, makes sense of uh, very complicated things in a very understandable way, and uh, r- really enjoy Howard Marks here. And
2: yeah, the, the quote from that book, sorry to interrupt you, Charlie, go ahead, this go ahead. Is, is something along the lines I don't have it off the top of my head, but uh, you know, extraordinary performance comes only from correct non-consensus forecasts. You know, in other words, the non-consensus yeah. forecasts are hard to make um, and hard to act correctly on but uh what a great
1: book that's where the payoff is and we have several people actually recommend jack schweiger's book as well so you, you are in good good company here so give us your website and contact information for those who would like to know more here chris
2: Yeah, I think the best way to contact us is through our website, CYRfinancial.com. That's CYRfinancial.com. We have a lot of great research out there that we share with people, and we, we really, it's about sharing information, and that's the best way to get a hold of us. I would say, in a nutshell, really, to invest in what you believe in and believe in what you invest in, and those are simple words. but. I, they really resonate at our firm daily, and you can get more of that on our website. You know, we, we eat, breathe, and sleep our strategies, and we're very proud of them. Of course, they're our babies, um, but for me, it's about faith, family, friends, health, and wealth. And, um, you know, Charlie, like I said, when you're passionate about what you do, you never work a day in your life. So I'm glad to be bringing the value to those around me and uh, truly enjoyed every minute of this podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, Chris, uh, our pleasure. And, you know, uh your <coughs> Your view of uh, giving first, um, uh, giving forward, is uh, is held by members of NAME. You and I met at NAME, National Association of Active Investment Managers. Mm -hmm. And I was there doing podcasts of uh, some of the members there. And I find that that... Attitude is pervasive in that organization, that everybody is out there giving without expectation of direct return anyway, and everybody says it pays off. So uh, we can see that you, you, your actions and attitude are very consistent with, with name here. Congratulations here. Thank you, Charlie. So give us uh, final words for our listeners, will you?
2: Just again, invest in what you believe in and believe in what you invest and uh, keep giving back because what comes around goes around. Uh, really a pleasure, Charlie. Thank you,
1: Chris. Thank you very much. Again, we've been talking with Christian Seer, founder and president of Sear Financial, out of uh, Central Illinois. And you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to hear from you. Our contact information is info at dot com, and you can go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows. Strategic Investor Radio. On behalf of OC Talk Radio and all of us here at Strategic Investor Radio, I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing.